Well, hello, everyone. I want to welcome East and downtown and everybody watching online or on TV. I'm so excited to be able to share today, but I know for you, it will probably be nervous energy. So that will be all right, because we are continuing in our series, The Seven Deadly Sins, and here is the subject today. (laughs) Told you, nervous laughter, nervous energy. Some of you just went, all right. So here is what I want to start off with, because I know in a sermon like this, There will be parts of it that you may go, I don't know if I agree with that. There may be scriptures that you go, is that really what it says? There may be even moments that you're just going, "Eh, now I feel a little shame, a little guilt in this. My hope with this sermon is that in those moments, uh, you would go, God, I bring this to you. Because that's my hope for this sermon. I hope that God speaks into your life and gives you the opportunity sometimes when maybe you disagree with him, because that's the question you gotta ask. Can God disagree with you? Can he speak into your life and maybe show you another way to do things? And so that's why I'm going, when it comes, I guarantee you it will probably come at some point in this sermon and go, okay, God, I lay this at your feet. I need to wrestle this with you. Because I think in a conversation like this, some of us will start to feel like, Man, I can't get it right. There's, it just feels like there's no hope. And it's almost like, okay, does God really want this? Is this even attainable? Can I really be pure? And I want to show us, at least get our mindset going, yes, there is hope. There's examples of the history shows this. And so if you want to look at an example in history, Roman Empire, taken over pretty much a lot, and they are oppressing the Jewish nation right now. But... Christianity comes out of that. And as the Christians grow, what starts to happen is they subvert the Roman Empire just by the way they lived their lives. And by subvert, you mean they changed what Roman Empire believed. They changed how they did things. And they did it in three different ways. Take a look at this. They did it in how they died, through their generosity. And the one I want to spend a little time on is their sexual control. So you're going, okay, how did that happen? So Roman Empire, what they were known for uh, is they kind of felt like, hey, if I wanted to be intimate with somebody, it doesn't matter who they are, I can be intimate with them. So marriage to them was kind of a a loose term uh, in that sense. And so you see Christians now going, hey, I got married. Now I will be committed to my spouse. And so the Roman Empire would look at them and be like, So that's it? That's the only person you're going to be intimate with? That started to go, that's weird. That's different. And I don't know if we agree with that. But it started to kind of change things. And on top of that, since the Roman Empire was kind of having relationships with anybody, babies were happening. That's kind of how it works. Um, And babies were happening. And so Roman Empire was also known for this. They would just go, ah, this is not great timing for us to have a child. We don't like the sex of this child. Let's just get rid of it. And their idea of getting rid of it was just leaving it. They leave it on the side of the road, leave it somewhere, and just be like, I I mean, just think about walking along the road, and that's, that's what's going on. And that was normal. That was pretty custom at this time. So then in walk Christians and go, whoa, 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 hey, we'll take those kids. We'll raise them. We'll take care of them. We value their life. 
And in that, the Roman Empire started to look at themselves and go, ah, maybe we have it wrong. Not everybody. But enough Romans started to go, maybe Christianity is the way to actually live life, where it has purpose, where it has meaning. It's better than the way we were doing it. And that's where Christianity subverted the Roman Empire. And I ask this question, could history repeat itself? Could Christians now, could we subvert, subvert a nation? Could we subvert the world by the way we live, especially in this area? And I want you to keep that at the forefront, that question at the forefront of your mind as we walk through this, as we navigate lust. I think God's going, if you're willing to navigate this conversation with me, if you're willing to listen to me, you may see a healing that you never thought was possible. So let's take a look. Here's what Jesus said about lust. Matthew 5, 27 through 29. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, which is funny, he was <laughs> specific. Not your bad one, your good one. Uh, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And so in this sermon, I want you to pick up, because he does this throughout the whole sermon. If you go read Matthew chapter 5, he's taking concepts, beliefs, that many people would have been like, yeah, that's right. But then taking it a step up, saying, hey, if you want to follow me, this is where we go next. This is how we, we go beyond just this. Because he's like, hey, take this, like, you shouldn't commit adultery. Everyone's like, yeah, we know we shouldn't do that. And he's like, but now if you even think about it, if your eyes causes you to love, your mind goes to a spot that maybe you shouldn't go, he's going, you've got to take that and go, hey, we've got to heal in those areas. Now, many scholars say he wasn't being <laughs> literal. It's not like we should be walking around with our eyes gouged out. Like, that's not what he's saying. Some of you are like, okay, whew, I was a little worried where this was going to go. Um, more metaphorical. But in the same breath, he's also going, but let's not go, hey, that's nothing. And he's also, scholars would say, yes, committing adultery, that's one thing. And there's consequences and there's a lot of pain in that. But on the other side of this, just thinking about it, hey, that's also a sin. Because then sometimes we think, well, I'm not hurting anybody with that. If he was going to give maybe this sermon now, it'd be like, hey, what you watch online. What you're allowing to put or what you're reading or whatever, going, it may not be hurting anybody, but where are your desires taking you there? Jesus is going, I want it to take a step up. It's not just about like, hey, don't have sex before marriage. He's going, it's bigger than that. Hey, don't just have adult, commit adultery. No, it's bigger than that. He goes, I want to heal here and here because he understands how powerful desires can be. And, and I want you to be, God gave us desires. These are good things that God's given us. But he goes, but you gotta have some self-control around them. Because if we're not careful, desires start to take over. Desires start to dictate everything. They determine our wisdom, they determine maybe who our God is, how we lead our life. Des desires start to go taking us whatever road we wanna go down. So to even take a deep dive, if you were to study the word lust in the Bible, here's what it, the Greek word is, epithemeo, means to have a desire for, to long for, 
to covenant. It's, it's this desire component. It's, it's the thing that God's given us. Now, most of us in the English language, we hear the word lust and we put a sexual connotation with it. Understand in the Bible, there's many references to lust that it could be in a good sense. If you lust after God, you have this deep longing for God. God's going, I gave you that. If you have a deep longing for justice, you have a deep longing uh, to heal poverty, if you have a deep longing even to be with your spouse, God goes, I gave you that. But the danger is, is that lust also has the ability to take us down a very negative road. Satan loves to take those desires and go, well, what about this one? This one seems important to you. You should act on that. This one seems important. You should act on that. Just because you felt it, you deserve to do something with it. And that's where God goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who's in charge of your life? Me or your desires? Because he talks about this in Galatians. He talks about the fleshly desires versus the spirit. Go for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. There will be desires that you experience that I believe comfort and that is going, it is the opposite of what God wants. It doesn't go in line with what he wants. And it's contrary, and the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. There will be moments where God says, that's not okay, but you're going, but everyone says it's okay. I feel like it's okay. And what do you do in those moments? Once again, who's in charge? But in the finish out, they're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. That last line. God goes, self-control is important. So, you want to know why lust is deadly? Know why it's one of the seven sins? It's because of this. It's because of desires without self-control. It's where we let our desires and go, self-control in this doesn't matter anymore. But as we dive into it, it's, it's intriguing to me what we do in our minds with this. Because when it comes to parenting, most parents in the room are like, yeah, self-control is important. I have four kids. Self-control is a constant lesson going on in our household right now, <laughs> constantly. Uh, I don't know if, uh, well, I know this, all of you have experienced this. Um, if you had kids, you take them on vacation, they're like, man, this is awesome. We got ice cream. We got to stay up late. We're doing all these things. This is great. And they're just, oh, it's, it's great. Uh, as parents, sometimes we're exhausted. That's a whole other point. But anyways, um, you get done with vacation. You're like, okay, now it's time to transition back. But especially our oldest right now. Be like, hey, uh, let's go do that again. I want to go do that. Like, let's get more ice cream. Let's stay up late. Let's do this and this. And, and I have to look at them and go, yeah, we don't have the money to do that. So that's a no. Um, and they're learning self-control of learning to go, hey, this was awesome. This was great. Experienced it. But now I've got to learn self-control and have some gratitude. I can't have that 24-7. Now, I have a two-year-old, too, who's going, that's mine. <laughs> and I want it now. It's crazy to me. You can be making dinner, and they'll go, I'm hungry. I know. That's why I'm cooking dinner. No, no, no. I'm hungry now. And I'm just like, okay, wait 30 minutes. Two-year-old, nah, that's not how this is going to work. Um, so we're constantly teaching self-control. But then when we get to adults, and that's a part of our brain that we're going, yeah, that's important. Mom and dad have been teaching me that. Now I'm an adult, that's, eh, it's optional. It's crazy as adults, we kind of like, sometimes put that by the wayside or think it's not as important. Don't forget, God puts that as one of the fruits of the Spirit. One of the things he wants the Holy Spirit to teach you 
and show you the power of is self-control. And so that's where when it comes to this lust conversation, he's going, I I want you to learn self-control. And what lust can do is it can take that and go, desires are more important than this godly attribute. It's learning to say no to the things that may be good or unhealthy in your life. It's the power of no. And we need it. And to show you more an example to where we just struggle with it as an adult, let's talk about sex for a little bit. I know everyone's like, yay. Um, So let's look at this. The way God designed sex versus the way lust has taken it and changed it. So God's design for sex, he wanted it to be unified to where two people would come together, male and female, come together, have this beautiful dynamic to where they can experience a beautiful gift where it enriches the relationship more. But God said, hey, I have parameters around this because I know how powerful sex is. I know how powerful that desire is. And he says, that's why I want you to do it after marriage and I want you to do it in this context because when it gets outside of it, you see on the other side, it hurts us. But it's unifying. It's, it's a beautiful picture of that. And then it's holistic. God goes, I want this to be for a long time. When you make that covenant of marriage, you're going, this is what I'm committing to and learning how to walk off those commitments and what does that look like to be intimate for that long and do it in a healthy way. And then along with the holistic part, here's the beautiful part, it starts to transform us. As married couples and even all of us, what God is going like, I want to transform your desires. So it's going, yes, they may be over here. They may be really strong, but I want to transform to where you can get to a day you're going, man, that used to have power over me. But now it doesn't, I'm changing. That's not anything that I've done. I'm making some choices, but God's the one changing my heart. That's what he wants you to experience the transformation, so that we don't have to live constantly in shame of the desires that keep taking us the wrong way. And then the last part of it, you see it with what the Christians did with the Roman Empire. It's a witness. And I, Christians, let me speak to you a little bit here. We're not doing great at this. We are struggling in this area. Can I tell you, lust is causing churches to crumble the moral failures that I hear happen. Lust is calling marriages to crumble. Family dynamics are crumbling. And at the core of it is our desires are taken over. And God's going, but what if it could be a witness? What if we could do it the right way? And that's my hope is I can be a man that being married for a long time and I was faithful to my wife. I showed my kids what intimacy should look like. Not saying I'd do it perfectly, but trying my best to set the example and letting God transform me. See, those things, I go, that sounds healthy. That sounds free. That sounds, man, something we want and desire. But the truth is, many of us are experiencing what's over here on the lust side. Some of us are hurt so deeply because of what happened in our marriage, the selfishness of one person. Some of us are maybe selfish and, and just going, this is how I want to do it. I don't care what God says. Some of us now, it's created confusion. Okay, culture says this, God says this, I don't know what's right. I have no, conclu- no clue. And so we just kind of like, oh. And so it's frustrating to not have a foundation to stand on. We feel like it's constantly falling apart. And you see, desire led. And if I were to take a poll right now, most of you probably would say yes. In some way, some capacity, sex or intimacy 
has hurt me. I haven't met too many people. I've not, all the counseling I've done, most people have, I have some kind of wound in that area because I was either selfish and did something I wanted and then realized it wasn't what I thought it would be or the other side of it, someone's done something to me. And as I said, this desire, it's powerful. And God said, I want to make sure that this does not destroy you. So, church tried to step in and tried to be like, okay, here's the formula to make, you know, like fight lust and get lust out of your life. And so here's what the formula looked like. It was moral standards. Here's what God wants plus willpower equals holiness. Some of us maybe grew up going to uh, youth group or church camps or whatever. Maybe you heard a pastor going, this is what God wants. Be pure. Good luck, you know. Um, and you're like, okay. I remember hearing that teenager. I was like, all right, better change. And then a week later, I'm like, I screwed up. So where does that put me? I failed. And then it made me feel more of like, I guess, I guess I'm not good enough. I guess God can't heal me. I must have a unique problem that nobody else has. The problem with this equation is God's not in it, number one. And the other part of it, it's all on us. So here's what it led to. It led to failure. People trying so hard. I mean, some of you, this may be your story. I tried so hard to heal myself. Couldn't get it to work. And eventually you gave up. And you're going, I must be the screw up that God doesn't know how to fix. So you got the church saying that. Then you got culture stepping in going, hey, what if we did things differently? 1960s, they go, what about a sexual revolution? Let's do that. And they started changing the ballgame of, and here was the, question, the equation they went after. They were like, let's make it a little bit more positive. If you have a desire and you have consent, there's freedom. You're allowed to do it. And I would say 60 years later, I would say this trend's really playing out. We look at it and go, well, it's my desire. Everyone's okay with it. What's the big deal? I should have the freedom to do it. And I understand the logic in that conversation. The danger is, look at that and go, but is it working? 60 years later, would you say, yes, that has led to a healthier culture? <laughs> no. Our relationships are more broken than I feel like they've ever been. We have more hurt, more anxiety, more all those things. And I go, maybe it's not all connected to this, but I would say if that was working, we should be experiencing more freedom. And it's those things that it sounds good, it sounds right, but in reality, it does this. It's delusionment. And many of you have probably experienced it. I have. I thought, I went after what the culture wanted. I was like, man, I got here. I'm like, why does this not feel as freeing as they say it was? Why does this feel more complicated? Why does this feel like it's harder? And this has not been a conversation that's just been going on now. Recognize this. In all the letters to the church, uh, think about Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, the writer of it had to address lust. 
had to talk about, hey, this is how we navigate it. Because he recognized when we have these equations going on, it's distorting what's true. It's distorting maybe even what we think about ourselves. So look at this in 1 Corinthians. It deals with it directly. It says, free from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually, God's pointing out, this sin, this desire, it's powerful because it sins against their own body. Do you not know what your, that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. If you were to study that phrase, sins against their own bodies, scholars, theologians say, if you want to understand that, that is you have distorted your personality. You've distorted your identity. You're believing a lie. And it's hard. Sometimes we don't recognize. I've had it, had blinders on. You don't recognize you're distorted. Until you, I mean, you've seen this. You ever walked into a dark room and then a low light shines through and you're like, whoa, didn't know that was in here. That's what starts to happen in this. And so when we walk into this lust area and let it get out of control, we may think we're fine, but we don't know how distorted things are. And when things get distorted, it kind of reveals that we've gone, I want my desires to lead my life. I want it to dictate things. And there was a pastor who I think articulated well, when we start to remove God from this equation, it gets dangerous. When we lose the knowledge of the existence of a creator, we lose the concept of design. When we lose the concept of design, we undermine the discovery of purpose. When we undermine the discovery of purpose, we remove the conviction of accountability. When we remove the conviction of accountability, we undermine the fear of God. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. If we want to be wise in knowing who we are, knowing how God made us, and working through that, some of that we've got to bring at God's feet and be like, God, I don't understand this. But there's got to be some authority in our lives that he gets to speak into it. Because if not, you take out design. You take out purpose. You take out accountability. You may go, but I'll figure it out on my own. But what if God's the only one? What if God is the one who created you? What if he's the one that gave you purpose? You eliminate that as soon as you start saying, God, you're not in this. You can have these areas, but you can't have this. And God goes, you can't have two masters. It's either me or this other one will destroy you. And so it gets to a point here that we go, okay, with lust, what do I do? I think we all consider it's like, yeah, lust has hurt my life in some kind of way. So what do I do? How, do? how does God want me to do with this? There's two examples in the Bible where one's Jesus directly deals with lust and another one in King David's life he deals with lust. So let's start with the one that Jesus dealt with. He's teaching and the Pharisees catch this woman in adultery and bring her right in front of Jesus. I mean, the Bible needs to catch her in the act. I mean, think about the embarrassment, the shame. Some of us maybe have experienced that. Like the church somehow, I mean, Pharisees representing the church going, all right, we got to talk about the truth. We got to talk about what's going on here. This isn't right. And so you think about this conversation. Think about this happening right now. You'd all freak out. Someone being drug up here and being like, you got to deal with her. Because according to our law, we should kill her. She was committing adultery. Her lust was out of control. Sadly, they didn't bring the man to the conversation either. You're kind of like, hey, it takes two to tango here. What happened? 
But we have this woman right here in adultery, lust, and I love this moment because I wish we could just picture it, and I'll try my best to describe it. Jesus sees the situation. Recognize this is his daughter. He created her, loves her. And here comes these group of religious people who he also loves, just destroying this woman's heart. Destroying, I mean, think of the shame, think of all that. And then Jesus navigates this in a way that we all need to listen to. We all need to pay attention to. So he says this, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Some of us have probably walked in today and I've started this conversation and shame is just gripping you. Shame has taken over you. Let those words ring true. You think everybody's condemning you. But Jesus is offering you grace. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. He just let that moment settle. I mean, everybody's thinking like, man, what is he gonna stay? And then he says something. They're all like, well, are you gonna throw it? I'm not. Um, and when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. All of them walk away. It's crazy to me. All of them go, I can't do it. And just this unique dynamic where they just all slowly walk away. And then left with the woman and Jesus. Now we're going, ooh, what is he going to say to her? How is he going to navigate this? Look what he says. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Trying to point out, don't let somebody else's con condemnation, somebody else's guilt they're trying to throw on you, be an identity in your life. And then her answer, no, Lord. And Jesus doesn't go, hey, just great. Hey, here's your grace. Don't worry about it. He finishes with this. Neither do I. Go and sin no more. He was setting the table for what he was ultimately going to do. He goes, you should be punished. That is the law. But I'm going to take your punishment for you. So go and sin no more. It's beautiful to where all of us get to experience that. All of us get to experience God's freedom in this. No longer defined by maybe our pornography addiction. No longer defined by our divorce. No longer defined by the things that we go, God's going to condemn me for it. But we get to, and this is the first thing we got to learn, come to Jesus and let him speak in our lives. We got to kneel at his feet. And sometimes this will happen. Sometimes maybe someone will drag us there. Remember, the woman didn't make the decision to be there. I can tell you my story. When I first met God, my parents took me to a concert I didn't want to be at, but I'm glad they did because it changed my life forever. There will be moments. Some of you are probably sitting in here today going, yeah, I didn't want to be here. I don't even know why I'm here. I don't know how I got here. Like, you're just thinking these thoughts. But God's going, but you're here. And I want to talk to you. I want to talk about this. 
And that's where we learn over time going, instead of being drugged, we learn, how about I just come? More on a regular basis. Just come and sit at Jesus' feet and go, teach me. Teach me how to navigate this. Teach me how to do this. So there's the first step. Then the next one has to do with King David. King David, uh, he was known in the Bible as a guy after God's own heart, but he did some pretty messed up things, and it was led by lust. There was a time where he's uh, sitting in his kingdom, and, and his army is off battling things, and he's going, this is great. Life is going good. He sees a woman bathing. He goes, she's awesome. Uh, I should have a relationship with her. So he does. Problem comes. Uh, she becomes pregnant. And so he's like, okay, how do I cover this up? Because none of us have ever been there. Um, and so he calls his her husband home from war because he was one of the you know, warriors in his army and says, hey, come home. Come, you know, spend some time with your wife and then I'll send you back out to like trying to like, hey, no, this will be your baby. Um, and then the guy's like, no. He had character and went, no, I want to be with my men. I'm, that's where I'm supposed to be. So send me back out there. He literally slept at the steps of the, of the palace. And David's like, please just go home. Um, so then eventually David sends him back out. But then he sends a message to the commander. Hey, can you please move him to the front of the line? Pretty much saying, hey, um, can you make sure he gets in higher probability of maybe some casualties of war? You could almost call it murder. So this is a guy after God's own heart and his lust led to him an inappropriate relationship and also led to murder. So God goes, I'm going to contend with this. This is not okay. So he sends the prophet. The prophet's name was Nathan. Nathan's telling this story, and David's getting so fired up because he's like, that's not how someone should treat somebody else. <laughs> uh, I think you know how this ended. Look at this scripture. Nathan said, you are that man. I mean, think about letting that. Some of us have maybe had that moment to where it's like, oh, gosh. Yeah, that's right. But I'm the one doing the sin. And so... The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. God was very clear. He said, these are the sins you've committed. And then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Once we start coming to the Lord, there will be a moment where we have to own our issues with lust. We have to own the issues that we let desires get out of control or maybe not the way God wants them to be. And there's gotta be a moment to where we kneel and say, God, I'm sorry. And so that confession is important. You gotta come to Jesus and then that next moment will be confessing and saying, God, I need your help with this. I've let lust get out of control. Psalms 51 talks about it to where G David even describes this in more detail, his confession. confession. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stains of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. At some point, we need to recognize that our sin, our lust issues, our selfish desires is why Jesus is on the cross. Whether we're willing to accept that or not, that's the truth. And that's why we gotta come to Jesus going, God, help me. I need help in this area. That's why I say, I think the correct equation for navigating lust is this. God's power 
plus consistently showing up equals victory. And the victory is not, hey, the next day I'm all healthy. It's this ongoing victory where God keeps showing you, hey, next step, next step, next step. But you gotta be willing to show up. We need God's power in this. We can't necessarily heal all the desires we have on our own. God can. That's why we need him. And I share this sermon from a heart that uh, I messed this area up. So you're looking at a pastor who struggled with lust. I remember uh, in college getting so mad at God because I looked at him and said, God, why would you call me to be a pastor when you know I have these struggles, when you know I have these desires? I don't get it. I mean, I was so frustrated because I thought I'd be like, okay, if I'm gonna be pastor, you're eventually gonna heal those, and I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried, but you're not doing anything. Why does this feel off? And I'm gonna go be a pastor, and I'm gonna hurt somebody, and I'm gonna do it all wrong, and I'm gonna ruin your church. I remember going to, we had like a little study lounge, and I don't know if you've ever had these moments, but I'm angry. I'm throwing the pillows, because if I were to punch something, I have to pay for it. Um, and so, throwing pillows, just being mad, just screaming. God, like, why aren't you healing this? I don't understand it. Why call me to do this if you're not going to do something in this area? I think many of us have been there. And I did something that I probably would not recommend, where I just opened the Bible and said, speak to me. Um, because that could go wrong real fast. I just want you to know. Some of us in there is like, that can't be right. Um, (laughs) But in this moment, the Holy Spirit intervened in a powerful way. Because the verse was this. It was in Matthew. Jesus said, I have not come just to bring peace, but a sword. And he spoke to me in this moment because I was trying to do it within my own power, trying to prove to God I'm worth saving, I'm worth being a pastor, those kind of things. And he said, I'm fighting for you, I'm fighting with you. Stop trying to defeat this on your own. Stop trying to walk in this shame that you can't defeat it on your own. I need you to get back up, pick up your sword, and fight with me. And I don't know what that moment will be like for you. Maybe you've already had it. But for me, that began to go, Okay, I don't have to have it all fixed right now. But what I need to learn is to pick up my sword by coming to Jesus and confessing and learning to fight this battle to where now I look back at that and the, man, the power that God has done in my life. To where, when I, who I was in college, the things I was looking at, the things I was just processing and thinking about, the unhealthy lust part, has gotten healthier and healthier and healthier to look back personally and go, man, the man who that was is not the man standing here. And I know I'm not done on this journey. I still have some ways to go. But that's where I'm learning, like, lust does not have to be our identity, does not have to be the sin that destroys us. And that's why I think this sermon is so important to where I want you to experience that freedom. I'm a man who has failed at this, but I'm also a man who's healing. And it's because of God's grace and his truth. And I want you to experience the same thing. Go back to that question. What if history could repeat itself? 
What if Christians could take the lead on this of being healthy in this area? But it starts with us sitting at his feet saying, God, help me, and confessing. So here's what I want to do. I want to read the scripture to you, and then I want this to be a prayer for us. It comes from Psalm 51, part of what David wrote, an extension of it. But just listen to these words. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my, my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach you ways to, to rebels and they will return to you. Maybe underline this scripture. May it just be highlighted in your Bible or on your phone. Just going, God, may that be my prayer. May I simply just come and say this before you on a regular basis and keep coming to you because you may need to add accountability. You may need to add these things to your life over time of learning how to fight this, but it starts here. So go ahead, close your eyes, bow your heads, and I want to pray this scripture over of us. Because some of you, you may go, I need it. I need to hear this scripture. I need it to change my life. Some of you may go, I don't know if I agree with you, Todd. I didn't like this sermon today. But maybe you just need to sit in this time and allow God to talk to you and say, God, here you go. I don't know what I think about this. But let's let the word of God speak to us in this time. So it says this. Don't keep looking at my sins, O oh God. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels. And they will return to you. God, right now, I don't know where everybody's at. But I pray that those words would ring true. Pray that hearts would be convicted. Maybe even hearts begin to wrestle. Because God, I pray that we would learn that you can disagree with us. Our desires can be out of order. And lust can take over. But God, we need to sit at your feet and understand what the truth is. We need to have conversations with you. And may we recognize it's not a shame conversation. It's not that you think we are a problem or we are the issue. It's more of going, I want to heal you. I want to change what is dark in your life to light. And so God, help us. May we know that you love us unconditionally and you died on the cross for this. So God, may we be Christians who live this out and maybe we can see the healing that sounds like a dream to see our nation change, see our world change. But God, it's got to start with a change in our hearts. We love you, Lord. We pray all this in your name. Amen.